Welcome to The Catholic Perspective, a podcast brought to you by rcspirituality.org. Enjoy the episode. The miracles of Jesus show the healing touch of God. They reveal His power and His desire to heal and redeem us. And yet, Jesus didn't heal every sick person living in Palestine in the first century. Not everyone received their own personal miracle. God's providence ordained when and where those miracles took place so that they could become signs for everyone of the saving power of God's grace. And the same thing was true throughout the whole history of the church. In the book of Acts, St. Peter and St. Paul performed the same kinds of miracles that Jesus performed through the power of the Holy Spirit, verifying the truth of the gospel message and helping people to accept that truth. Throughout the whole history of the Church, whenever missionaries arrived among people who'd never heard the gospel before, miracles like those continued to perform their providential function to open eyes and hearts to the saving power and the redeeming mercy of Jesus. Even in our own day, miracles continue to happen. Every year, the Church beatifies and canonizes new saints. And those beatifications and canonizations require authenticated miracles as sure signs that the person in question is truly living in heaven in full communion with God and His saving grace. They, too, are visible signs of invisible realities. All of those miracles, in a sense, belong to all of us. They are milestones in the history of our spiritual family, the Church. If we view them with the eyes of faith, they can be, for each one of us, a source of wonder, hope, and spiritual strength. God is real, and He is truly interested in our lives. And although He doesn't always solve every problem by sending a miracle, His grace and His mercy are always at work, weaving together the magnificent tapestry of salvation history, a portion of which is each one of our own personal histories. Just as not all of us receive dramatic miracles, likewise, not all of us are given the gift to perform dramatic miracles. But we are all given the gift of grace. And that gift can enable us, too, to become visible signs in this world of invisible realities, living miracles, as it were. And one of the most powerful ways of doing this is by displaying in our own relationships the mercy the unconditional goodness that Jesus revealed to us. When St. John Paul II wrote his famous encyclical on God's mercy, Dives in Misericordia, he taught that Jesus was the incarnation of mercy. He wrote, He himself, Jesus, in a certain sense, is mercy. To the person who sees it in him and finds it in him, God becomes visible in a particular way as the Father who is rich in mercy. In the final part of that encyclical, the saintly Pope points out that whenever we practice mercy in our relationships, we continue that incarnation. We continue to make God's mercy visible. We continue to allow Jesus, in a sense, 
to exercise the miracle of his healing touch. In the words of St. John Paul II, society can become ever more human only when we introduce into all the mutual relationships which form its moral aspect the moment of forgiveness, which is so much of the essence of the gospel. Forgiveness demonstrates the presence in the world of the love which is more powerful than sin. Forgiveness is also the fundamental condition for reconciliation, not only in the relationship of God with man, but also in relationships between people. We all want to live that mercy. We all want to demonstrate the presence in the world of a love that is more powerful than sin. In order to do that, it will help us to reflect on one of the more common obstacles to mercy, anger. Anger is the most complex of the human passions. Understanding its underlying dynamism will help us learn to govern it, creating more space in our lives for authentic forgiveness, for mercy. Anger is a passion of the soul, an emotion, that follows upon our experience of a present evil, an injustice, a pain, a personal attack of some kind or another, that we judge to be overcomable. If a present evil is judged to be non-overcomable, we simply feel deep sadness and painful resignation. But if we perceive that a bad thing is happening to us, that we are being attacked in some way, and we perceive that our resistance to that bad thing can actually yield good results, we feel anger. And the feeling of anger moves us to act out against the perceived evil, to defend ourselves. If someone, for example, is insulting me and causing those around me to think badly of me, I may feel anger if I think that I can counteract those insults, turning the tables to defend myself. And that feeling of anger may move me to retaliate, to defeat the insulting attack. In this sense, the passion of anger is a natural source of energy for us, and it is morally neutral. We just feel it the way we feel any other emotion, because that's how we're created. That's how our human nature is designed. It becomes moral, righteous anger, or immoral, the sin of anger, depending on how we deal with that feeling. The feeling is meant to be governed by our reason, and as Christians, our reason is meant to be enlightened by our faith. When Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple, he showed the power of righteous anger, defending truth and rooting out sinful corruption. But we are not always so just and wise in our response to angry feelings. If a coworker insults me unintentionally in a meeting, I may feel anger welling up in my soul. If I choose to let that anger dictate my actions, I may lash out at my colleague, creating a scene, damaging a relationship, and disrupting whatever we were supposed to be working on. That's uncontrolled, unjustified, disproportionate anger. It is a form of self-centeredness, of sin. If I choose to rein in the feeling of anger through acts of patience and forgiveness, I avoid that damaging fallout, and I avoid the sin of anger. If a person has habitually allowed free rein to their feelings of anger, 
instead of governing them with reason and faith, they will gradually form the vice of anger, a habitual disposition to commit the sin of anger. Some people have, by nature, a stormy temperament, and they have a kind of built-in tendency to fall into this sin and to develop this vice. For those people, forming the virtues of patience and mercy, the virtues we use to govern the passion of anger, may be very difficult indeed, and they may spend their whole lives engaging in the struggle. But with determination and the help of God's grace, they can grow in those virtues. If the struggle is particularly hard, our Lord will crown them with particular merit, and they will give great glory to God through their spiritual battle. If someone is showing small signs of improvement in this area, we can assume that they are beginning to grow in virtue, and that eventually, the growth will eliminate the vice, but they have to persevere. Growth in virtue takes time, effort, and decision, especially when the vice has been deeply rooted for an extended period of time. On the other hand, when someone is struggling against anger without seeing any progress, then another element may be involved. The anger may not be only a vice, a habitual disposition formed by repeated self-centered decisions, it may also be a compulsion. Compulsive anger can have mixed causes. It may be linked to a vice, but it also may be rooted in a psychological condition. In such a case, the anger may be a kind of defense mechanism. The person in question misperceives innocent actions of others as attacks and responds with angry outbursts, acts out in exceptionally unreasonable and uncontrollable ways. This is because there is some wound in his psyche that is festering. Like an infected cut, it is hypersensitive. And so comments and actions of others that should not be seen as attacks, that are objectively not attacks at all, are perceived as attacks. And the resulting anger is the defense mechanism. It is shielding a wound that has nothing to do with the specific situations about which the person keeps getting angry. If this is a habitual situation for someone, and normal means for spiritual growth have consistently not shown any improvement, then a reasonable next step may be to speak with a dependable Christian counselor or a psychologist, someone able to help identify and address the underlying psychological wound that's really causing the angry outbursts. There is one more level of complexity worth mentioning here. If someone has suffered psychologically and the anger is compulsive, there may also be spiritual forces present, exacerbating the wound and impeding it from being healed. The devil's favorite weapon is lying, and often psychological wounds are based on lies. Lies like, I am unlovable, I will never be lovable. If an experience of abuse or neglect or violent rejection at a young age created a deeply ingrained psychological condition in a person based on lies like this, then the devil can prey on that weakness, stirring up self-hatred, exaggerating the lie, 
and causing the psychological infection, so to speak, to spread. In this case, healing masses and prayers of deliverance can be a helpful complement to solid Christian counseling and a wise program for spiritual growth. As you can see, anger is no simple phenomenon. But understanding how it works, understanding the many factors that may be at play whenever we're struggling with habitual anger, deep-seated resentment, or long-lasting grudges, can help show us the way forward. By meditating deeply on God's own abundant mercy and on the infinite power of His healing touch, as we did in the two meditations of this retreat guide, our faith in God's love for us can grow. That faith, in turn, can make us less vulnerable to the hurtful words and actions of others. But even when we feel the pain and anger that they may cause, those feelings don't have to have the last word. Just as Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, His healing touch can calm the storms that arise in our souls. And just as He took the hand of Jairus' daughter to bring her back to life, so He can always revive our own faith, hope, and love if we invite Him into our hearts and let Him do so. You have been listening to The Catholic Perspective, a resource from rcspirituality.org. Please visit our website and check out more great resources to help you pray, learn, grow, and go. Please join our team of digital missionaries by subscribing at rcspirituality.org.